0: Good morning. Man, it's a good day to be in the house, isn't it? Look at somebody and say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, cousin. Thanks, I'm glad I'm here too. Now hush. <laughs> we, are, uh, we are actually nearing the end of our series. Uh, this is how we fight our battles. And uh, if you've been with us prior to Palm Sunday, prior to Easter Sunday, Uh, You know, we've been unpackaging uh, a variety of strategies, weapons. We've been looking at uh, uh, specific weapons and strategies on how we fight our battles. And today, uh, I want us to examine which weapons we're using and if they're working on the battles that we're facing. Uh, because there's a variety of weapons that we have available to us, and not every weapon works with every situation. Uh, So I'd like us to uh, stand this morning. We're going to read a scripture from the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to spend most of my time sharing and unpackaging the life of Samson this morning, but when I was reading in 2 Corinthians, this scripture, uh, I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, and I think it really does justice to where we're going this morning. Let's read together. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely, massively corruptive culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warp philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for cleaning the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity." That was good. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is active and alive this morning. I thank you, Lord, that we have invited you into this space, Lord, to wreck us and change our lives. God, I pray, Lord, that every, every uh, word that falls uh, from my mouth, Lord, that is not of you that would fall and be forgotten, but every word that you have for us that would change us for eternity would stick and stay, and we would activate those words in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, last week was a great week. Last week was a great week. It was Resurrection Sunday last week. And, uh, and I tell you what, uh, the, my kids certainly enjoyed everything that the children's ministry, uh, produced and did. And I just want to, I want to echo an additional thanks to the children's ministry for not giving my kids copious amounts of candy this year, uh, where we had to take them, uh, uh take that candy away from, from, from our, from our girls. I'm glad that we didn't have to, to do that. Our kids had a grand time and, uh, they learned about Jesus. The youth had a great time. Did we not? Yes. Okay. I hope you did. Uh, and uh, and some of them, their eggs did not break whenever they were doing the egg drop. We had a great time. We had Jason Eberly shared his testimony and did a great job, uh, senior this year. And, uh, and we took communion together and really, really had a great time. And then during second service, I was able to be in here worshiping. And one of the things the Lord showed me in that service was whether or not the people in the room, whether they were believers, non-believers, whether, uh, whether you are uh, new on your journey or you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, everything about last Sunday pointed to the main event. Everything about last Sunday pointed to the resurrection of my best friend. Is he not your best friend? Is he not, Is he not? Does, do you not just love Jesus? Do you not just uh, just celebrate him? Imagine what our lives would look like if we walked into this church every Sunday carrying the zeal that we had last week for Easter. Let alone, what if we walked into every day of our life carrying the excitement and the zeal of Christ and what he did for us? Wouldn't our lives just change? Let me tell you something, something that makes Jesus so attractive is excitement and zeal for what he's done. And man, to this dark world, to be able to see something separate, I'm telling you, I don't go out in the world and see excitement very much. I see excitement about destructive things, but I don't see excitement about life. And so uh, Resurrection Sunday, let's carry it with us going forward. One of the phrases or quotes that Pastor Ronnie said last week that I really loved was this. He said, ultimately today is not about something that may have happened to somebody 2,000 years ago, but today is something... Today is about something that is going to happen to you. And what happened to that person 2,000 years ago can change everything about what's going to happen to you. Resurrection, the, the, the resurrection is powerful. If the resurrection didn't happen, we go home. There's not a reason for us to celebrate. There's not a reason for us to be here on Sunday morning celebrating and worshiping the Lord together, but the resurrection did happen and it is real. So I wanna to talk to you today today What happens, you know, uh, all of the churches around the, I say all the churches, the majority of the churches around the globe that met last Sunday had a specific reason, a specific specific strategy last Sunday and presenting the resurrection, pointing the congregation to the resurrection because they wanted to say, hey, here's a gift of salvation. This is a free gift of salvation. And if you will accept this gift, your life will be changed for all eternity. So that was, the, that was the, the intention and the direction for a lot of churches last Sunday. At our church, as we move forward beyond Easter Sunday, our assumption, our assumption is that a majority of people in this room actually have made the decision to believe that Jesus died He lived a perfect life. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. Most of you, we assume, have made that choice. And what our commission or our charge is every Sunday is to nudge along in building fruitful lives as we grow in him. So our charge every Sunday is to equip you as believers in navigating this thing called life. You see, there came a point in your life where you decided, I believe in Jesus. And prior to that, if this seat is the center of your life, prior to that, you were sitting on this seat and you were in control of everything and you liked it. You liked being in control. You liked being able to do what you wanted to do. You liked to be able to say what you wanted to say. You liked to be able to go where you want to go. And Jesus comes along. Somebody introduces you to the Savior. You make a decision in your life that says, I, you know, I do believe that the resurrection happened. And, and in that moment, instantaneously, that minute you gave your heart to Jesus, something did change. And that change was this. You gained access to the kingdom. And more than that, you gained access to the King of the kingdom. And let me tell you, this King, can blow all the world's systems out of the water because this kingdom does not belong to the world. So here you are on the center of your life and you're in control. And from the point where salvation comes to your life to the point where he takes you home, we get to do this thing called life. We get to do this thing that I like, now I don't know about you, but when I gave my heart to Jesus, the battles that I fought prior to my salvation, they didn't disappear the next day when I woke up. The struggles that I had prior to my salvation, they didn't just mystically go away the next day when I woke up. The same struggles, the same battles, the same thought life might say, I did not get holy amnesia when I gave my heart to Jesus. I did not forget my past. Everything was still there. But the change that happened was inside me and my perspective changed. And so what the process is between the point of salvation and to the point where he takes us home is a continual process and war, right? Process and war between you and abdicating the seat to Jesus Christ. Your life is a perpetual pattern of deciding whether you're gonna be in charge or he's going to be in charge. And every time you allow Jesus to take this seat, you gain heavenly perspective and you have access to things. You have access to kingdom tools to which you can use to fight and become victorious over your battles. You see, when you got saved, Jesus gave us a promise. He gave us a lot of promises, but he's talking to his followers and he said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So welcome to salvation, here's trouble, Okay. That's what you, that's what you got. And you got some other promises as well. But he promises that it's not going to just disappear. You're going to have to walk through life. You know, there's cause we live in a broken world, right? We live in a broken world. So you're going to, you're going to trip up. You're going to struggle. And the more we can get Jesus in the center of our lives, the more victorious we will rise up over our situations, our circumstances, our struggles and our battles. You see, here's the deal. A kingdom perspective is always better than a worldly one. Kingdom perspective is always better than a worldly one. This is a verse in Psalms that I really love. It says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And so the boundaries that the Lord places in our lives are there so that we can experience the inheritance that we have access to, so that we can experience life and life to the full. He doesn't place the boundaries there because he doesn't want you to, to, he wants you to miss out on something. He's facing the boundaries in your life because he doesn't want you to destroy yourself. And so when you allow him to take the center place of your life, you enjoy walking within the boundaries that he's placed in your life because he gives you a kingdom perspective, which is always better than a worldly one. So many of you know I have four girls. And if you see any little blonde-headed, blue-eyed girls running around, they probably belong to me. And uh, my girls, uh, you know, one of the, my girls are talented in many things, but one of the things they're talented in is making messes. You know, they they know how to make a mess. And um, <clears throat> Ronnie said, Pastor Ronnie said something last week. He said, a new vacuum cleaner will not change your life. I don't know if you remember that, but he said, a new vacuum cleaner will not change. As a dad of four girls who make messes, yes, a vacuum cleaner will not change your life, but a vacuum cleaner will do wonders for your life. And so I've got a, I've got a, I've got a vacuum cleaner, and I think a vacuum cleaner to a dad of four girls rivals gutter guard. But, um, but, but I, I, uh, I, I use this vacuum to clean up the messes that are in my house. If you come over my house uninvited, you probably are going to trip over a Cheerio, an Oreo, or a Dorito, and it's gonna be smashed into the carpet. And I take this vacuum, and man, it just does wonders. It's high-powered. I can just run it over, and we have a clean house. And I have operated this vacuum cleaner over and over again. We've gone through multiple vacuum cleaners until I found the best one. And uh, and I believe that this is- Now, I wanted to try the Dirt Devil, but I didn't know how I felt about running the devil through my house. So we use, we use the Hoover here and it's a really great vacuum cleaner. And I use this as a, as a method to clean up the messes that my girls cause. Well, about two months ago, I was here at the church and I was working and Sherry gave me a call. And, uh, and I said, hello. And she said, get home right now. Stop what you're doing. Now, my wife has never called me and said that before. So you can imagine what was going through my mind. What is going on? Get, get, stop what I'm doing and get home right now. Yes, ma'am. So I got in my car and, uh, and I, and I did the speed limit going home and, uh, got to my, got to my house and to walk in and my wife is running up and down the stairs with these towels. And I'm like, what's going on? Well, my girls, my middle two girls, they decided that they wanted to have a swim party in their bedroom. And so what they did is they took buckets of water from the sink and they dumped them right onto their bedroom floor. Their, their process, what they're thinking was, if we continue to dump buckets of water, eventually the water will accumulate and we can swim, right? Okay? <laughs> Sherry did not realize that this was going on until she was downstairs taking care of Nora, and she looks up and water is dripping through the ceiling fan from the bottom floor. So you can imagine how much water has seeped through the ceiling down into the floor. And so I look at that and I'm going, oh my goodness, what what are we going to do here? And so I did what every great husband and every great father does. I looked up Google and I said this, can a vacuum cleaner suck up water? And this is what it says, regular vacuum cleaners are not designed to pick up water. If you are tempted to run the vacuum cleaner over a pile of water, you run the risk of electrocution and serious damage to the machine. Now I don't know why this was. I was not worried about electrocution. I was worried about damaging my machine. And so <laughs> and so I said, okay, we cannot cause harm to this machine, so we're gonna have to figure something else out. So I grabbed Ruby and I put her in the car. We went to the store and we bought a shop back. Anybody have a shop back? Okay. Now, this is a mini shot back, but it's a shot back nonetheless. And we were able, with this little machine, we were able to suck up eight gallons of water from the floor that was upstairs, leaving still some moisture around and some damage and all of that good stuff. But we were able to suck up a majority of that water using this machine. Now, the properties that are a part of this machine, they have some similar properties to this machine. The difference is that this machine is designed specifically to be able to pick up water. This one is not. Here's the thing. Many of you have battles going on in your life. Many of you have messes going on in your life, and you have three options. You can use the wrong weapon, cause more harm. You can act like it doesn't exist and turn your back on it, or you can equip yourself with the tool needed to clean it up. What are you going to do with your battles? How are you going to navigate your battles? Because God, when Jesus says, I want you to live your life and have it to the fullest, he doesn't intend you to be beaten down every day by your battles. He tends you to rise up and be victorious over your battles. And so we've got to be able to look at our battles with a heavenly perspective. Before you were saved, you had access to an arsenal of worldly weapons. These are the weapons that the enemy has cleverly designed for you to use and to go to to combat the battles that you face in your life. But here's the thing about these particular weapons. These weapons are not designed to conquer your battles. They are designed to conquer you. They are designed to conquer you, and so what happens is is we go into these battles and we use worldly weapons, but here 's the thing: the author of those weapons, the crafter of those weapons of the world, are the is the same author of the battles that you're fighting. And he is after you. The Bible says in John 10, we look and it says, "The thief, which is the enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy." But I, Jesus, have come that you and me, that we can have life and have it to the full. So if the enemy's job is to destroy you, why in the world would he equip you with something that would make your situation better than what it is? But he is so crafty and so clever because what those weapons are designed to do is to render you blind to your situation, to numb the pain, to distract you from the things that you need to do. And so we continue to gravitate to these weapons of the world to try to combat our problems and our issues and they ultimately lead to destruction. Who is at the center of your life? Because when Jesus is here, you gain a heavenly perspective. We are talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life. What you do between salvation and eternity is important. And there's so much that you have access to that you can rise above because when you belong to the kingdom, you no longer belong to the world. Dina, I would like you to share. I'm gonna come down to you just quickly. I want you to share what you shared with me this morning because I think it relates. Can you give me this microphone? Everybody know Dina? Give Dina a hand. Yeah. Okay, how many know the NFL draft is happening this week? Anybody aware of that? Okay. I could tell you, I could give a flip about it. Okay, but here you go. Dina went, and she was excited. Tell us about your experience quickly.
1: Okay. I thought he was joking, but um, we went to the draft, and I am a Ravens fan, and Kevin is a Redskins fan. So when we went to the draft, I registered to go to sit up in the, the front of the draft, and they sent me a text and said, you've been drafted. So it was like, wow, we got 45 minutes to run down and get to where we had to sit in the VIP. So I thought it was sitting in VIP. Well, we was actually standing at the gate and, you know, the stage was, you know, kind of close, but we was good. So I kept moving up closer and closer. And then Cal was like, where are you going? And this guy came through and he said, is that Ravens? Where's Joe?" Joel. And I said, yes. and So he said, would you like to come up and sit? And I was like, yes. And he said, who's in your party? I said, just me and my husband. And he said, "Hmm, not too sure he can go because he was all dressed in redskins. <laughs> so, so I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, let me find out. And Kevin said, you know what? If he comes back and get you, just go. This is a lifetime, you know, excitement. It was good. Go. And I was like, okay. So he came back and he said, Yeah, we're gonna have to take you. We're not too sure about him. Let me find out, but let's take you and go sit down. So I went up there, went up to the front, feeling like VIP. Went up there, sat down, and all the ravens sitting around me. And we cheering and we right at the draft. So I'm just sitting there in a, and I, the lady came and she said, what was wrong? Why your husband couldn't come? And I said, because he had so much red skin stuff on and we're Ravens. And so she said, well, I said, but you know what? He has a T-shirt on, like a black T-shirt. He can take off all of that. And can he come? And she said, yeah. Would he, would he mind doing that? I said, no. So I called him real quick. Kevin, take all that stuff off and give. <laughs> and get up here and little to say he did so he came up and then to be with me <laughs> okay
0: they were both at the party they were both there okay Sometimes we acknowledge Jesus and salvation, but we're not ready to give him our life. The minute, here's the thing Dana was ready to go. She was wearing what was needed to be in the VIP. All Kevin needed to do was take off what he was wearing, and he could go right up and enjoy the blessing. Are you ready to take off the world? and step into the blessing of the kingdom. Are you ready to give Jesus the center of your life to make him the Lord? All you have to do is make a decision and say, I don't want this on me anymore. I want you in control, and you get to be ushered up into the blessing. See, salvation secures your eternity, but there's some things in the middle of life that if you'll just give him the center of control and take off the world, man, you have so many things in store for you right now in here. Um, I want to talk to you about a guy named Samson, and I told the first service, I know I've been working out, but that's not me. And um, so, so Samson, Samson uh, was born uh, at a time when the Israelites were doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and the, and the, Lord, said, and the Lord said, for 40 years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you over to the Philistines, and he did. And Samson is born, and God set Samson apart, and I love the story of Samson because what i think in terms of what we're talking about this morning i think it's a wonderful picture of someone who's set apart for the world with for, for i'm sorry set apart for the kingdom but engages in relationship with people of the world. Okay. He intertangles himself, intertwines himself. And so it's a good picture of, 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 of this, of this story. So he's born and he's set apart from the Lord and uh, an angel comes to his parents and says, do not drink. Do not shave his head. He's going to be set apart and God's going to, to use him. So he grows up and he finds himself a, a woman who he really, really likes. And he goes to his parents and says, I want that, I want that woman. I want you to, to arrange for us to, to, to meet. And his parents look at him and say, Samson, don't you want to find a woman who is also set apart for the Lord? Samson says, "No, no, that one's for me. That one's for me." And so, on the way, on the way to uh, to meet this woman, a lion comes and roars at him. And the Spirit of the Lord comes over him. And with his bare hands, he takes this lion and he kills it, massacres it, shreds it. The Spirit of the Lord comes on Samson and he kills this this lion. And so three days later, as he's going back to see this woman, he goes back to see where the carcass of the lion he killed. And he, he looks at it and bees have swarmed around and there's honey in the carcass and he dips down into the honey and he walks away just kind of, I would, I would imagine haughty and just like, yeah, I did that. And he's just eating the, he's eating from, from the honey and he's sharing it. And he has this experience because the Lord comes upon him. The principle here is this. When the spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you will be victorious. It doesn't matter how ugly. It doesn't matter how scary. Doesn't matter how what fear is being invoked at what's coming at you, if the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you will be victorious. Uh, yesterday I was uh, here and I was preparing for the message and I was uh, praying over, and sometimes what I'll do is I'll come into this room and I'll pray over, pray really pray over you guys and, and think about what we're doing. And I was just really pacing this, this area here as I do. And uh, I got, it was about maybe 20 minutes into my pacing and praying or whatnot. And I was praying in the Lord and I got over here about to where the youth are sitting and I flank and turn around and right in my face is a big, huge, nasty spider hanging from the ceiling. I thank God that nobody was here to see my reaction to this spider. <laughs> I was freaked out and I wanted to get a picture of it. So I ran, I ran to my office to grab my cell phone, to take a picture, ran back and the spider was gone. Which was worse, me seeing the spider and knowing where it was or me coming back and not knowing at all where he went? Hey, that's what we do with some of the things that obstacles we face. We see them and we know where they are. We run away. We come back and now they're out loose everywhere else, conquering other things in our life. So I, so I get here and I'm like, oh, I've got to find this spider. I can't just have the spider walking around. So I literally 30, about 30 minutes. I'm over here pacing, trying to find this spider, losing my cell phone, looking under chairs, looking, trying to get into that room. I don't have access to all of this stuff, seeing where is this, where is this spider? And, um, And I couldn't find it. So at some point, I just said, I've I've got to move on. I can't just spend all day looking for this spider. So I start to pick up back into praying and I start to pace. And interestingly enough, as I'm pacing this floor and I get back over here, when I get back to about where Kurt is, I say, I'm just going to turn back around this way and keep walking. My pacing had shrunk. My territory of where I was going had shrunk based on the fact that I had no idea where the spider was. And so I'm sitting here and I'm going, and in the back of my mind, I know this spider's around. And part of me is thinking, I think this spider has crawled across this floor and is now on this side. And so the Lord just said, Kevin, stop. Go over there and look for that spider. And I was like, all right. And the Lord literally led me right over to where Alyssa's sitting. <laughs> the spider was a light brown light brown spider, and I went over there and this is what I saw. And um, I had inadvertently killed this spider in the 30 minutes I was searching for it. <laughs> and the Lord showed me this. I promise it was much bigger in person, okay? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so I stepped on this spider and I killed this spider. Here's the thing, when I killed the spider, listen to me, when I, killed the, when I found out that the spider was dead, when it posed no more threat against me, I puffed up and I was able with confidence to take over this whole territory. Once I had such peace, I had such, I I was ready to go, I was ready to roll. I didn't have any worries anymore. Here's the thing, so many of you are fighting battles where you have given up people, places, things, territory. And the Lord says, when you kill the enemy, when you conquer that battle, he's going to let you reclaim those things that you lost. The principle is this, when you win your battle, you will reclaim what's yours. Some of you have lost some things in the battle of life that are rightfully yours. And God wants you to have those things, but you gotta face down the giant. You gotta be willing to look at it. I'm talking about kingdom perspective today, folks. Kingdom perspective So Samson has these friends and he throws a party. He's getting married. He throws this party with his his 30 friends. And I see uh, Samson as, you know, he's got some arrogance about him. And and he goes to his friends and he says, hey, solve this riddle within seven days and I will buy you some new Jordans. I'll buy you some new clothes, okay? And And if you don't solve it in seven days, you all have to buy me some new Jordans, some new clothes, okay? And so they say, okay, give us the riddle. So here's the riddle. It says from... The eater came something to eat, from the strong came something sweet. So this points back to his encounter with the lion. And so three or four days go by, the friends are trying to figure out, they cannot figure this out. And so they go to his wife and they say, hey, listen, I want you to go over to Samson and I want you to get him to give you the answer to this riddle. And if you don't, we're going to burn your house, burn you and your father and kill kill you, Okay. So she says, okay. And so she goes to Samson and she coaxes him and manipulates him to give her the answer to the riddle. So the seventh day comes and the guys come back and they say, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson, knowing that they had conferred with, with his woman, got very angry and very upset. And so he goes down into the city and he kills 30 people, rips off their clothes, hands it to the guys because he promised the clothes and walks off and storms off in anger. All while his wife decides to marry the best man, okay? Let me tell you, if you're watching TV for scandal, get into the Bible, it's good, it's juicy, it's rich, it's got all types of things for you to look at, okay? And so Samson is off, and so Samson comes back, comes back to look for his wife, and his father, uh, her father says, sorry, we thought you were so angry that we married, we married her off to your best man, but her sister looks good, why don't you go after her? and he's angry. I got a question for you. Why did Samson's wife, why was she not loyal to him? Why would she not have her allegiance to him? Why would the Philistines be willing to kill one of their own simply to safeguard 30 garments? Why, what, why would these people succumb to this type of behavior? Here's the principle here, guys. You can't expect people to submit to the standard of a kingdom they don't belong to. Some of you are in fights and in battles with people, and you are forcing them to come under a biblical standard of living that they're not ready to go. They're not ready to go there. You're expecting things out of them. You're expecting them to come under the standard of the kingdom, and they're not there because they haven't even given their heart to Christ. And so what's effectively happening, yeah, they're in control of their life. And yes, you do see them heading toward destruction, but you're not after them to abdicate this to Jesus. You're after them so that you can sit here in their life and control everything they do. And when you start controlling what they do, then you start to create more opportunities not only for them to run for the Lord, but for destruction to happen in their life as well. They start running from the Lord instead of running to the Lord. Isn't this fun? And so Samson, he gets mad and the Bible says he takes 300 foxes, ties the tails together, six torches in them, lights them up and burns the city down. Ever felt like one, have you ever felt like you want to just burn something up? Anybody? I have. I have multiple times. Not here, but I, I've wanted to burn things up. And, uh, and I literally, uh, Samson just said, Psh, done with it. And he goes and he just, he's just walking around like this. And his own people start to take notice of everything that he's done. And they start to get a clue in that, listen, if you continue to engage the Philistines in this way, it's going to actually harm us. Don't you understand the Philistines are ruling over us? So we've come to actually turn you in to the Philistines because this isn't going to work. Guys, let me tell you something. There, if you are, if there are things happening in your life that are harming your health and harming the health of the people around you, there is a healthy time of separation that needs to happen. The strategy is let's separate. Let's evaluate what's going on. Let's examine. Let's let the Lord do some repair and restoration and then come back into the fold. Okay. That's a battle strategy. That's a battle strategy. And so Samson is given over to the Philistines. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. He breaks the chains or breaks the, the ropes. Says see, he grabs a jawbone of a donkey and just goes after him and starts to massacre him. Just left and right and kills them all with this jawbone. Samson was a dude. <laughs> yeah, he was a, he was a dude. Your choices affect others. The choices you make, the battle weapons that you choose, the things you're going on going on in your life, the choices you make, they affect others. They affect others. So he kills all of the people. The Bible says he goes and sleeps with a prostitute. The, the Philistines are out to kill him. He wakes up in the middle of the night. He goes to the city gate. He rips the doors down, tears down the city pillars, co- carries them up the, up the road. They're scared. They don't attack him. He meets a, a girl named Delilah. Many of you are familiar at this point with the story, Samson and Delilah. And the interesting thing here, if you go back to the very first situation with his, the first woman he encountered and the, the, the 30 men, it's so interesting that the same tactic was used to get the information from Samson. Delilah manipulates him and gets him. And and Samson tries to outwit her, try to outwit the first wife, try to outwit Delilah, and it doesn't work. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what happened was this. If you don't change your strategy, you'll compromise the best of what you have. If you don't change the strategy you're using, you're gonna compromise the best of what you have. Samson lost his strength because he was so intertwined. With the world, if you will, if you go with me, okay? He's so intertwined with that that eventually they sucked out everything that he had that was good. And he lost his strength. He lost his strength. And so they capture him, they gouge his eyes out, they put him before the people and make him entertain, humiliate him. And I love the end of how the story ends. I love how this story ends. I don't see anywhere in Scripture one time that Samson even acknowledges the Lord, save for this point, at a point of desperation. And the word used in the message is master. In other words, Samson was, he was in the pit. He was there. And it's as if Samson said, take control of this situation. Master, Lord, if you would just be in control right now and give me the strength once more to destroy these Philistines for what they've taken from me. And he did. They leaned him up against the pillars. He pushed them down. And the Bible says that he killed more Philistines in his death than he did when he was alive. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, God always wins whether you have given your heart to him and you have been saved, whether or not you decide to abdicate your right to the position of lordship over your life, whether you're going through a hard battle, whether you're, you're in the slums, whether you are, are being victorious in, in your life, whatever it is, at the end of the day, God always wins. What battles are you facing? What mountains are you going around and around and around? Guys, are, is, are, is there anyone in here who is sick and tired of being sick and tired of fighting that thing over and over and over and over again? Let me tell you something. Allow the Lord to take the center spot of your life. Allow him to expose you with a kingdom perspective to new weapons that you can use to effectively fight your battles. Stop grabbing to the worldly, worldly weapons that you've been so accustomed to. Lay those down and grab hold of the kingdom and you will come out on top because God always wins. Would you stand with me this morning?